A reading from the book of Romans, beginning in the 12th chapter. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is in serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, as many of you know, we recently moved, and like the idiots that we are, we went from one project house to another, despite telling our realtor we didn't want another project. We just couldn't get away from it. Quite nicely, though, our mortgage broker gave us this gift for being her clients, and it was this membership to something called House Tracks or something. I didn't really know what it was. We were signing lots of papers. I could have been signing away my own children. I had no idea what was happening. And the way that I remember it getting explained to me was some sort of software that keeps track of all of your house projects, which to me felt like another digital thing to keep track of and another thing telling me all the stuff that I haven't done, right? All the projects that I need to do. So rather than follow up with it, I've just tried to kind of do the things myself, not worry about it, and in doing so, I've wasted all sorts of time trying to find reputable contractors and laborers for various jobs. And then, out of the blue, last week, I got a voicemail from someone from this house tracks company thing telling me that the service they offer is like a glorified concierge service. They will call the contractors. They will collect the bids. They will do everything. And as he reminded me about four times in this two-minute voicemail, it has already been paid for. You don't have to pay for anything. Just use it. You're a member for life. All I needed to do was take advantage of it, which I'm planning on doing maybe this week. We'll see. Now, in our readings for this evening, I think it's tempting to see them as things that we have to do in order to, to be members in Christ's church. And the things that we're called to here are extremely important, but what I want to get clear at the very beginning is that what Paul is telling us in Romans 12 and what Christ is telling us in Matthew 16 is not just some new list of things for us to realize how much we have left undone. We spent a good chunk of the summer talking about worship. 
And we've really spent much of this last year returning to the theme of being hidden with Christ in God. Right? We've been saying over and over again that our life is not our own, but that our life is actually rooted in the divine life, in the love that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so to be brought into God's presence and made alive by the Spirit in worship is a complete gift, right? Because Christ alone has offered perfect worship to the Father. We are incorporated into Christ not because of anything we have done, but through faith and baptism, which are themselves gifts of Christ to his church. Okay? As St. Paul begins in his in this 12th chapter to his letter to the Romans, he says, in view of God's mercy. And then he goes on to describe what he wants them to be about. So I say to you, if you have placed your trust in Christ and entered the waters of baptism, your membership has already been paid for. You're already in. This is not a list of things for you to think about, oh, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I should do better at that. No. Now, as mystical as being hidden with Christ and God may sound, the implications of such a glorious truth are here, as we see, especially in Paul's letter, intensely practical. Our life is now rooted in Christ, meaning we are now his body. As I've said in the past, St. Paul is not simply speaking metaphorically here. He is instead describing a sacramental reality. As baptized people, we have been so united to Christ that not only is he the source of our life, but we are the expression of his activity on the earth. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be the church. It's important to note that if we were to enter into what Paul is describing here in Romans 12, we have to be, as he says, transformed by the renewing of our minds. If we remain conformed to the pattern of this world, then the idea of taking up our cross, of losing our life to gain it, or of being part of the one body will all seem like a bug, not a feature, right? It'll seem like the things that we're willing to sort of put up with in order to get something, eternal life, happiness, whatever. The pattern of life that is celebrated in our world is one of power and consumption. It's the freedom to be and do whatever we want to be and do without consequences. Martin Luther had a term for this whole way of thinking. He, he called it incurvitus say, which is to be curved in on oneself. The motion of consumption always ends here. And over time, we become closer and closer, closed in on ourselves, unable to be opened up and drawn toward others. Instead, we are drawn away from everything else and drawn toward our own self and our own desires over and over and over again. Which means, of course, that the posture of Christianity is completely antithetical to the pattern that the world would have us be conformed to because Christianity is cruciform. Your arms are stretched out, reaching toward God and toward the world all at once. It is a posture of giving up our own desires for the sake of others. We are so used to this position that it will require the Spirit to renew our minds and transform our thinking to understand that the call to lose our life in order to find it isn't some horrible must-do in order to get back to consuming. What the Spirit would have us learn is that the losing is itself part of the finding. This is the entire ministry of Christ. The giving up of yourself is the way that you find yourself. Now, before we move into some practicalities of what Paul is 
having us consider here, I just want to reiterate, the logic here is not see how much Jesus has done for you, see how much he's given you, now it's time to start paying him back. The logic is not even see how much he's given you, you couldn't possibly pay him back, but you should try anyway. That's not what's happening. Rather, the logic is that Jesus has given you everything. Everything. Not just an entrance into the kingdom, but he has given you everything you need to live life in his kingdom. And the way in which he has given you everything is a revelation of the oxymoronic that in dying we live. Everything about Jesus' incarnation, life, ministry, death, even some, in some senses his resurrection is a revelation that in losing, in dying, in giving up our own desires and submitting to the Father, we are given everything. This journey begins, as St. Paul tells us, by not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. Now, for many of us, we're thinking, well, no problem there. I know I'm a big screw-up. Thanks for the reminder. But I know for myself, anyway, that's often something other than humility masquerading as humility. I sort of beat myself up as a way of getting out from under things, almost. And I think what Paul is after here is not for us to beat ourselves up, but for us to live in such a way that daily we are recalling ourselves to the truth of the gospel, that none of this is accomplished by us. All of it is accomplished by Christ and given to us as a gift. Not only that, but we're not in charge of it. We are not in charge of the church. Ultimately, whether Christ's church lives or dies is not up to us. It's up to him. And by the way, as we saw in our gospel reading last week, he has promised that it will prevail. It's not up to us. It's up to him. And what that means is that we no longer have to work at this from a place of anxiety or duty. The very fact that it's not up to us frees us up to be who we were created to be in Christ. You don't have to be doing things in the church as a way of trying to keep your membership up. That's not what this is about. It's about being who you were created to be in Christ. And what Paul is saying is that we have all been given a variety of functions, just like the different parts of the body. And just like the body, it just won't do for us to try to be just like someone else. Do you know what it's called when cells reproduce looking exactly like other cells too rapidly? Cancer. You can't just try to be someone else. You have to be the person that Christ has made you to be. And I think that goes for us as persons within the parish and for us as a parish. We are all souls Portland. That means that we are a part of the whole body of Christ and we're our own unique part. We're not called to be a different part. So here are some things I want us to think about quickly with what Paul is telling us here. To really know who you are and the gifts that you have been given in Christ, I think requires that you have to be participating in the church's Eucharistic worship of the crucified and risen Christ. This is the place where you come back to again and again to get told truly what is happening at the core reality of the world. The church is the place of baptism. It is the place where you are given your identity in Christ. That's why when we, when we baptize an infant here, we, we tell the parents, name this child. Because it's in this rite, in this sacrament, that we are being told who we are. 
You're told your name and that you are a child of God. The church is the place where you are given your identity. And notice again how completely backward that is compared to how our world thinks. In our world, you self-identify. That is power. That is freedom. That is a fulfilled life. Self-identification. But in the church, we are named. We are declared a child of God. And if this is the place where you learn truly who you are, then you've got to be here. The community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the primary way that we learn to understand ourselves rightly. So we have to be in the church's gathered worship. And as we participate in the gathered liturgy and experience Christ's presence, not only in the gathered worship, but also through daily prayer and scripture, we will begin to get an understanding of who Jesus is and what his aims are, what he desires to do in the church and through the church in the world. It always starts here. You cannot short-circuit your way around adoration and knowledge of Christ and just get to work. This is what I was getting at last week when I was advocating for silence rather than reactivism. There are absolutely times and places for the church to get up and get out in the street, but if we are not constantly sitting before God in silence, being told who Jesus Christ is, we are going to mess it up more. We have to be told who we are in baptism and in the context of the church. We have to learn who Christ is by continuing the worship of Sunday out through the rest of our week in daily prayer and scripture. And as we grow in our understanding of who Christ is and what his aims are in the world, and by the way, I would just say you have to submit your understanding of Jesus and his aims in the world to scripture and the witness of the church. You're not just going to get it on your own. There are all sorts of people out there claiming all sorts of things as what Jesus would really want us to do. And oftentimes they're like antithetical to one another. So you have to be working within scripture and within the witness of the church, the rule of faith. But as you do so, I believe that you will begin to understand through the spirit and the community of the church who you are in Christ and who Christ has made you to be in the waters of baptism. It's sort of circular. You come to church to get told who you are and you continue to learn who Christ is. And as you learn who Christ is, you get a refreshed picture of who you are again. And as you grow in your understanding of who you have been made to be and what gifts you have been given in your baptism, then you seek out ways to put your gifts, your functions, to use for the sake of the body rooted in love. All of this is done rooted in love. It's not about asserting our own agenda, but rather living out the agenda of Christ in unity as one body. Now, some of you are further along on this journey than the rest of us, which, by the way, doesn't make you more special than anybody else. It's still a gift. All of it is a gift. But I want you to know it has been truly incredible to see so many of you grow in your Christ-likeness. We haven't been worshiping together very long. But for those of you that I've known for most of this time, it has truly been a gift to see you come alive in who you are in Christ and turn around and serve the church and the community in those gifts. It's the greatest. I'll be honest, there, there are times when being a pastor is kind of like, eh, Maybe I'll go be a barista or something, some job where you could just sort of turn it off at the end of the day. But in the moments where I see you 
becoming who you were made to be in Christ, living out your baptism, I'm right where I want to be. Greatest job in the world. Some of us, I think, need to spend more time discerning the body. We need to allow the rhythms of public worship and daily prayer and scripture to saturate our imagination so that we are no longer being conformed to the pattern of the world, but are instead being transformed. And if you find yourself in that latter category, I'm right there with you. And as a reminder for all of us, my metaphor at the beginning of that house tracks thing breaks down completely. Because the church is not a social club. It's not a service with membership. It's not a gym membership. It's not designed to be a thing that you can take up and put down as you feel. The gathering of God's people around the Eucharistic feast is an expression of baptismal reality, which means if you have been baptized, you're in. You're just in. There's nothing you can do about it other than completely turn your back on it or enter in fully. And so for those of you that are baptized, that have placed your faith in Christ, I invite you, keep coming further in. Come closer to the center. Learn more about who you are in Christ. And I'll just say, Paul's system of thinking here is so much simpler than mine. Because all he says is, if you've been given the gift of whatever, then do it. (laughs) If you've been given the gift of mercy, do acts of mercy. If you've been given the gift of giving, give. If you've been given the gift of leadership or teaching, then lead and teach. If you've been given the gift of hosting and throwing parties, then do that. And invite someone whose gift is prayer and tell them they're going to lead evening prayers at your party. People whose gift is prayer, don't be afraid to go to parties, but also keep praying. You have all been given a gift and a job to do in the church, not out of duty. This is how you're going to find true fulfillment, true life. In losing your life, you are going to find it in Christ and in Christ's church. We're going to let St. Paul have the last words. Here is how Romans chapter 12 ends. I encourage you, in these next few moments, as we have a few moments of silence, hear Christ speaking his word to you. He says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, that Christ might make us into such a community. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.